0: forward. Well, we wrap up our series, I'll Manage, uh, today, and and it made me think of this. I'm um, just so you all are on the same page with me, so you can plan out the rest of about the next six or so weeks. I'm going to talk about Christmas every Sunday as we move forward, because I enjoy the season. So for those of you that, like, you need to wait another week, Sorry, here's what you get with me. So uh, we, were, uh, we were getting some more Christmas stuff ready uh, this weekend and even for Thanksgiving. And uh, my wife bought cinnamon sticks and pine cones and all sorts of other random things that you could find outside, but we buy. And so I was, I was helping her put these out. And I noticed something interesting, and I think there's a bigger issue here. And I'm going to call this the cinnamon stick effect. All right, so here's the cinnamon stick effect is if you have cinnamon sticks and you're helping around the house to get them with the Christmas stuff and the Thanksgiving stuff, you help out, you hold these long enough, you put them down, all of a sudden I recognize, now I like the smell of cinnamon so it wasn't a big deal, but what do my hands smell like? Cinnamon, yeah. Thank goodness we use things that smell good around Christmas time because the same thing happens, right? The cinnamon stick effect is if you, you handle cinnamon sticks even for a short period of time, it is already rubbed off of you, and now, now you smell like it. And and I tested this earlier. I went up and I, you know, got the cinnamon on my hands, went up to a guy and was like, Hey, let me shake your hand. I was like, What are your hands smelling? He's like, excuse me. I said, Smell your hands. So he's like, Okay. I was like, What do they smell He's like, Cinnamon? I said, like, It worked! And he's like, That's weird. But uh but the cinnamon stick effect is that it rubs off on us. And then as we interact with other people, it continues to rub off on, on other people. And understand our relationships are just like that. We rub off on one another, whether it's somebody that you meet for the first time, whether it's somebody you've known for a long time, family, friend, acquaintance, co-worker, stranger, enemy. We interact with people and there is always something that we leave behind with them. Good or bad, we leave something with them. And we've been saying this whole series that everything God has given us is a gift from him. Everything that he has given us and allowed us to have, whatever that might be, our resources, our time, our relationships, they're all from him to be used for his glory and for the good of others. That's what a good manager does. As God's manager of his stuff, we use everything that he's allowed us to have. Every single thing, every single person, every single amount for his glory and the good of others, including our influence. And we don't think about managing our influence or managing our impact. Typically, when we think management, we go to time and money. And that's obviously part of that. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. But we don't want to neglect our spheres of influence, our circles of influence, the people that God is allowing us to interact with on some level. Whatever level, he is allowing us to interact with them and they with us on some level throughout our day, throughout our week, throughout our life, and it's part of our story. So the question we've been asking and I've been encouraging you to answer during this series is, is, how am I managing God's stuff? How well am I truly managing everything that he has allowed me to have for my time here on earth? How well am I managing it? And specifically this morning, how well am I managing my influence? How well am I managing those relationships that he has put in my life for a reason. So to answer that, we're going to look at a story that you wouldn't necessarily think of being tied to management and managing, but you're going to see the lessons that we are going to begin to pull out of it. So if you have your Bibles, head over to Luke, Luke chapter 10. We're going to be here predominantly for the rest of the morning. We'll bounce around a few areas, but the story I want you to see is in Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to start in verse 25. Here's the start of it. Here's the context. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Granted, this isn't the great motivation, the great heart that we would want when we have a conversation with Jesus, but nonetheless, it's still very applicable and Jesus continues to still answer him. So on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to get into heaven? He's asking the the, what's my responsibility part. Now, we know as believers that we are not saved by anything that we actually do. We cannot obtain it. We cannot earn it or deserve it. We are given eternal life only through the grace of Jesus and what he did on the cross and through resurrecting from the grave. We are given that as a gift if we believe, if we have faith. And so already the question's a little, his, his understanding's a little off, but the root of the question of what this expert in Jewish law, a, a lawyer for the, for the Jews, basically, he's asking, well, what am I responsible for? If I want to spend eternity with you, what am I responsible for? What do I have to do? What do I have to be a manager of is basically what he's asking. What am I responsible for? Because there's things that are outside of our control. We can't manage what we can't control. And so this guy is asking, what am I responsible for? What does it mean to truly manage well? Verse 26, Jesus answers him with a question. Well, what is written in the law? He's talking about the law of Moses. He replied, how do you read it? Because again, he's an expert in the law. Verse 27, he answered, Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And, Love your neighbor as yourself. We now call these like the the two greatest commandments. And even Jesus alludes to that. Now, these two, this this expert of the law didn't just pull these out of thin air. They are actually laws written in the law of Moses in the Old Testament. And so he brings these up saying, well, if you follow these two, if you're responsible enough to take care of these two laws, well, then you basically get the rest of them. Verse 28, you've answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Now, if you are a lawyer, I mean no offense by this, okay? But what's about to happen is very lawyer-ish. So he got his answer through this dialogue with Jesus. He got his answer, but he's not satisfied quite yet. So look at kind of this lawyer move, verse 29. But he, talking about the, the expert here, the lawyer, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I mean, don't you love that? He's trying to get this very specific, this line in the sand of, okay, I'm supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. I got it, but can you, Jesus, can you just pause for a moment and can you define neighbor for me so I know who I'm actually supposed to love and who I don't really have to love? That's what he's asking. He's asking for a distinction between, well, I only have to love my neighbor. So who technically falls into that category? So then I have freedom to not love and not care about these folks. I, I need a defining line here. Jesus, define the word for me. Because in, in Jewish mindsets, a neighbor, they would have considered anybody that was a Jew would have been their neighbor. That's how they would have defined neighbor. But what Jesus is gonna show them is it means, and is gonna clarify, it means a whole lot more. So, Jesus, to answer his question, to help him with this line, he actually tells a parable, a story a fictitious story that is going to get a major point across. Many of you have recognized this story before as the Good Samaritan. I want you to pick out the management lessons that Jesus is going to get across. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, here's the story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, Jesus, right from the get-go, gives this parable, but he gives it in great context. Because this road here says that there is a man that was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. That stretch of road, people in that day and age would have totally known exactly the actual, the real road that Jesus was referring to. It was named in those days, the Ascent of the Red part of that because it was pretty rocky terrain this road this stretch between Jerusalem and Jericho but the rock formations were also very red so it got nicknamed ascent of the red because of all the red rocks but as time went on it kind of took on a double meaning because it also was a very dangerous road where a lot of bandits and a lot of thieves would would hang out and a lot of people died on this road and so The ascent of red then became like the the way of the blood, basically, is how it began to be translated. Red, not just the rock formations, but red because of the blood that was shed by all of the dangers and all of the, the bandits there. So Jesus is already connecting the dots, saying, you've probably been on this road before. In other words, you've been in this situation. He's setting up the parable that every single person, most likely, especially a religious leader, they made that journey quite a bit, Jericho to Jerusalem and back and forth. So he's looking at this this lawyer, this expert in Jewish law, and was like, well, there is a man that's traveling this road, and you know this road. You've been down this road before. And most likely, he had even been in a situation very similar to what Jesus is going to explain. So verse 31, this man was driving, was walking down the road. He was attacked by robbers. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A priest is one of the highest positions in in Jewish religious religious leadership. They were the ones that were responsible for the sacrifices and the offerings. They were the in-between between God and his people. So this is a very high up person that followed law to the T, to the letter. And most likely the reason... Jesus doesn't explain it, but most likely the reason this priest would have crossed on the other side instead of having compassion and helping this man is because he would have been deemed unclean if he touched a dead person. So the priest, well, I'm practicing law. I'm practicing, I'm doing what, what God's word says, so I can't touch, sorry, I can't become unclean if I touch a dead guy, and he would assume that he was dead. Badly injured, he didn't want to touch him, so he crossed on the other side. Verse 32, so to a Levite, When he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. A Levite was just like one rung down from a priest. Still did a lot of active duties in the temple and in the tabernacle. Had a lot of jobs within the sacrifices on the offerings, but not quite to the level of a priest. So here a Levite doing his best to follow the law, most likely, followed suit with the priest. And he also crossed on the other side. But, verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was and he saw him and took what? What's the word? Pity, circle that word. That's going to be real important. He had pity on him. Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. That's about two days uh, worth of pay. Two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus gives this short little story, this short parable, guy traveling down this dangerous road that everybody had known, most had walked on, said, well, three different people passed by. You have a priest, one of the highest up in, in religious leadership for the Jews, and then you have a Levite that's, that's up there as well, and then you have a Samaritan. Now the Samaritans and the Jews culturally were the, the most on opposite sides as you could get. They, they literally hated each other, as you're going to see in a moment. They hated each other. They believed similar but slightly different things. There is a lot of history that led to why they absolutely would not even be in the same room together, much less help one another. And it's the Samaritan that Jesus said here in the story is that the one that helped the man. So verse 36, after telling the story, Jesus turns it around to this religious expert, says, well, which of these three? do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had what's his word? Mercy, circle that word. The expert in the law and answering Jesus's question says the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I told you culturally, Samaritans and Jews could not not be friends (laughs) at all. They were enemies, much less neighbors. They were completely enemies and hated each other. And it had to have just pained this man that Jesus was having a conversation with. It had to have pained him to have to admit that a Samaritan was a neighbor, was more of a neighbor than these two religious high ups. For the Jews, that had to have pained him. Even so, the word that he chose to use here is, is so telling of his heart and the pain that Jesus is causing him in this conversation. I had you circle two words. What was the first one? Said that the Samaritan saw him and had pity. That word pity, if you've been around me long enough, this is one of my favorite Greek words. It's the root splagna. You've heard me talk about this before. Splagnitsoma. And what that means is it's like the bowels of compassion. It's the bowels of compassion. And so what Jesus is setting up, the scene, is this Samaritan walks by, sees this man who's been left half dead, and just hurts for him. Doesn't just empathize, doesn't just sympathize, like he is moved, emotionally moved to then help this man. That's what that word pity, that's the literal word that Jesus used. Now, when Jesus turned around and says, so, expert in the law, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which one was the neighbor?" And he used, what's that word I had you circle? Mercy. Now, this is interesting, kind of funny. That word does not mean bowels of compassion. That word is covenant loyalty. See the difference? The Samaritan just was moved to compassion. And when he answered Jesus' question, so who's the neighbor? He said, the one that did he was what he was supposed to do. The one that was nice enough to help you. you see the disconnect there? Jesus sets up this compassion moment. And then when this expert in the law replied, he said, I can't bring myself to saying that that Samaritan had compassion, but at least he did what he should have done. He recognized what the Samaritan did that made him a good neighbor, but still in his most likely arrogance had a difficult time admitting it. So he had to use a different word than what Jesus used in the story. Which one was the neighbor? Well, the one that did what he was supposed to do. The one that, I'll take the emotion out of it, the one that treated the other guy nicely is what the expert in the law replied. But still, Jesus commended him. I said, no, you're, you're right. Go and do likewise. Now, I want you to see this as well. This will further show the, the animosity between Samaritans and Jews one chapter prior. So if you've got your Bibles, flip over to chapter nine. I want you to see this scene. I'll preach a whole sermon on this one one day. This is a great passage. Luke chapter nine, verse 51. Before we get to the Good Samaritan, one chapter before, Jesus and his disciples are traveling around. As the time approached, verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. That's his mission. He's nearing the end. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a what town? a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him. No, it'd be awesome. No joke, right? Obviously because Jews and Samaritans did not get along. So they did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. This is great. Verse 54. When the disciples, James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? What great disciples. Jesus, they didn't want to spend time with you. They did not welcome you. You want us not just to, to talk bad about them, not just revenge, have a vengeance. Can we pray to have God rain down fire on them? <laughs> I can't get over that. I mean, decide, they have been with Jesus for so long, and they've seen his compassion. They've seen his heart. And in this moment, their true nature, their true history and background of that that animosity between Jews and Samaritans, it comes out. I can't believe they wouldn't welcome you, Jesus. Let's just rain down fire on them. But Jesus' response is great. Verse 55, but Jesus turned and rebuked them Then he and his disciples went to another village. That other village is where he has this encounter here. So Jesus gives this parable of the good Samaritan. Samaritan doing something that the two Jewish leaders in the story wouldn't have done. And I have a feeling the disciples, as they were sitting around here, they were kind of like, we just wanted to destroy their whole village a second ago. (laughs) And Jesus is showing you have people in your life, in your life for a reason whether you agree with them or not, whether you like them or not, Jesus is saying there's people in your life that I'm putting in your life for a reason. And as managers of his stuff, not just time, not just our money, not just our resource, but those relationships, those encounters, the people that are around us, the people that we interact with on a small or large level, on a random or continual level, Jesus is saying, treat them well, regardless of what you think of them. Treat them well. Good managers treat people well. It sounds very basic, but the disciples who were with Jesus himself for almost three years had a hard time with this one. The expert in the law had a hard time with this one. We cannot preach this enough. We treat people well. Well. So I want you to see three management lessons out of this. If we're going to be good managers of God's stuff, including our influence and the relationships that he's placed in our life, three things I want you to notice. The first one, manage your time with other people in mind. Manage your time with other people in mind. All three of these in the story, all three of these characters, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, they were on their way with a purpose, with a reason. They were going down this road, not because they were on vacation, not because they didn't have anything better to do, but they had a destination in mind. Especially the priest and the Levite would have had a very intentional reason in mind. Samaritan was probably traveling. And as they came up to this man, it wasn't just a question of, am I gonna help? It's, do I have time to help? Do I have time for this person? Two out of the three said no. Two out of three did not take the time. And so often, we feel inconvenienced by people. The most inconvenience and inconvenient moments that we have usually revolve around people. They're an inconvenience. So often, parents, kids are an inconvenience. Kids, parents are an inconvenience. Bosses. Your employees are an inconvenient employees. Your bosses are, we are inconvenient with one another because we have needs because we have, have wants, and we have asks and we have desires and we say, well, I need this. And it requires us to say, time out on me, pause on me. And then I give my time to somebody else. So often we can become so task focused. So task oriented. I have to get this done. I need to go here that we don't spend our time with other people in mind. Good managers, put people first good managers of God's stuff, Say people come first. Things will get done. There will always be things in the way, but manage your time with other people in mind. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, look at this, value others above who? Above you, above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. What a a shift, what a way to live upside down. So often where it's about me, I've got to go here, I've got to take care of this, I have to pay this, I need to get this done. It's about us. And here's scripture, both Jesus and in the New Testament and and, uh, from Paul, writing to the early church church of Philippi says, don't make it about you. Instead, look to their interest over yours, which means you might have to hit pause so that you can be what you, that other person needs you to be. Now, it's not always a Samaritan story like Jesus told. Most of us are not going to be driving down 400 and, and seeing somebody half dead on the side of the road. If so, please stop for them. <laughs> please stop for them or at least call 911. But most likely our inconveniences are the more subtle things throughout our week, throughout our day. And they might be needs that aren't as extreme as somebody stranded on the side of the road. But it's, it's somebody that's asking for something. I saw an interesting quote regarding uh, kids. So parents, here's a good one for you. As adults, when we need something, when we have a bad day, we say that. I've had a bad day, I just need to vent for a little bit. When a kid has a bad day, they say, mommy, will you play with me? Dad, will you play with me? That, That child doesn't know how to emote the way we do. And so them saying, well, just play with me isn't just to have fun. It's because they need that interaction with you. Take the time, parents, 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 take the time to put your kids first. Spouses, the time for one another, but not just the the tight-knit relationships. The strangers, the acquaintances, remember the cinnamon stick effect? Every person we come in contact with, we are going to leave them with something. Are you going to leave them with, well, that person doesn't have the time and day for anybody except themselves? Or do they say, wow, They stopped and smiled. They stopped and had eye contact. Small things leave a lasting impact in regards to how we use our time. Manage your time with people in mind. Second one, manage your position and place with purpose. Manage your position and your place with purpose. And I might even add the right purpose. Here, the Samaritan came on a situation that was not his fault. It really didn't have any impact on him. It wasn't affecting him. He could have easily, like the priest and Levite, just kept walking. Well, out of sight, out of mind, I can just ignore it like the other two. But instead, he worked with the situation at hand. And great managers, outside of even the the church context, great managers do that. They deal with the situation at hand to make it improve, to make it better. Instead of making it worse or ignoring it, a manager that, that is doing well says, here's the situation, what can I do to improve it and make it work, make it better? That's what the Samaritan did. He came by, he saw him, and he had, what was that word? Pity. He had pity on him. And so he's like, I have to do something. I didn't plan on this. I didn't expect to be in this situation. I didn't cause this mess, but I could do something to improve it. And so he deals with the situation at hand right then and right there, even at his own expense. Took a lot of time out of his moment, a lot of time out of his day, but he continued to do what was right to improve it. Now, so often, again, like our time and people, we can view them as inconveniences. Same thing with our situations. Same thing with our positions. Well, why am I in this position? Why am I in this situation? You could say that same phrase, why me? And it can mean two totally different things. We could say, why me? And be all upset and, and have it in a complaining tone. I can't believe this would happen to me. Why me? Why such bad luck for me? The other side of that, you could say, why me? What do I have to offer? Okay, God, you, you put me here for a reason. You put these people in my life for a reason. So why me? What do I have to offer those two different ways of viewing will change so much. Not just the situation; it will change your life, depending on how you view things. It's kind of like this: I'm a, I wear glasses and contacts. I've had glasses since like the second or third grade, and man, these suckers are thick. And uh, so early on, when I would have glasses uh, instead before I got contacts, it was always a, a tedious. Moment in the doctor in the eye doctor's office where they were trying to get the right prescription because I have such bad eyes and so and on a few occasions they would give me glasses and I'd oh, try these for a few days and let us know if we need to tweak them so I'd take them home and and it just wouldn't be right my eyes were still adjusting and it just wasn't the right prescription and you know this if you wear glasses with the wrong prescription how do things look yeah it's it's, it's blurry you can't quite tell your your eyes have a hard time focusing and and if you keep looking through those lenses long enough, what happens? Big headaches. And those headaches lead to being short-tempered and that leads to being frustrated. And and the same things happen when we view our situations with the wrong lens. We don't quite see the big picture. We don't see what God's doing. And so we try to just squint through it and it causes headaches. And all of a sudden, every situation's a headache. Every person's a headache. Everything we encounter's a headache. Every boss is a headache. All of a sudden, it's changed you. And you tend to find yourself very negative and you're frustrated and you just can't see how things are. If we can have the right lens to look through, to see our situations the way God is intending them to, like the Samaritan, all of a sudden situations and people are no longer headaches. It's an opportunity. We see things from his perspective, through his lens and say, okay, why me? God, why do you have me here? What can I offer? What can I do to improve the situation? Galatians 6 verse 9. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. I'll say that again, especially because we have Thanksgiving coming up this weekend. A lot of you have in-laws coming in. Let us not become weary in doing good. One more time, just to make sure. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, not as we have made plans for, therefore, as we have opportunities, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let us not become weary in doing good. Those situations, those people that we don't plan on. Jesus even started the parable by saying a priest happened to be going down. This wasn't a planned thing. It was a situation that none of them scheduled for. None of them had planned on encountering. Two of them ignored it. The third one, the Samaritan, actually worked to improve the situation. You have three choices when you walk into a situation. You can make it worse. That was the robbers. They made it worse. You can ignore it, priest and the Levite, or like the Samaritan, you can work to improve it. God, what do I have to offer that can improve the situation of those that are around me? We have to manage our position, but also the place with a purpose, with the right lens. Now, Jesus could have stopped the parable there. That got the point across. You have these three, they walked, or they, they walked by, two of them passed by, one helped. Jesus could have ended it, but he kept going. And this is fascinating to me, that Jesus goes to the extreme to explain and show and portray what the Samaritan was doing. It says he came by and he had, what was the word? Pity. And so he, he bandaged his wounds, then he put oil and wine on, and then he put him on his own donkey. And then he took that donkey and they took to an inn. And he kept him there. He was with him the entire day. Because the next verse says, the next day, he goes to the innkeeper and doesn't just write him off. He goes this extra mile and says, well, here's two days worth of my pay. Watch over him. And don't just watch over him for those two days. I'm going to be back. Do you catch that? He says, I'll be back and I'll reimburse you for any other expenses that you have. This Samaritan went to extremes to take care of this wounded man. Now, here's the part that that was an aha for me. When I was praying and studying through this, this this just I never thought of before. It's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is obviously to be a good neighbor, and Jesus explains that through the parable. But in talking about managing our influence and the impact, how we rub off on other people, imagine the impact this Samaritan had. Let's assume this is a true story. If this really happened, the impact and the influence that this Samaritan had, not just on the wounded man, but on the innkeeper. Not just on the wounded man, but... This innkeeper saw the latter part of this scene play out, saw that it was a Samaritan coming in. He's like, where'd you get that guy from? Well, let me tell you the story. And the innkeeper saw him watch him and take care of him for an entire day and night. The innkeeper saw the Samaritan come back and pay him to watch him for the next several days until he was better. The innkeeper heard the Samaritan promise, I'll come back and I'll reimburse you. How would that innkeeper talk about the Samaritan to every other person that would listen after that? Could you imagine the other guests that came in? Dude, you won't believe this crazy guy came in and here's what he did. He's even gonna pay me for it. He's gonna come back and reimburse me for it. In a short encounter, the Samaritan left an incredible impact, not just on the man that needed it, but on the innkeeper. See, good managers also have a reputation that exceeds expectation. So often we don't manage our reputation well. And I've even said, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. And there's some level that, yes, even scripture says, don't be people pleasers, but, but aim to please God. But there is a level that we need to keep our reputation intact because our reputation gives us a platform for influence. Our reputation gives us a platform for influence. And here's how I know this is true. Anytime you go to a new restaurant, you probably pull out your phone and you Yelp it. And all of a sudden, you're looking through reviews. We're doing this for our kids' Christmas stuff. Well, let me get on Amazon and see what the reviews say about it. And I kid you not, we were actually planning on getting a gift after reading the reviews. I said, we're not going to get that gift anymore. Because of the reputation that people have based on that gift, based on that place, based on that person. Our reputation will either help or hinder the influence we want to have in people's lives for Jesus. It's important that we manage our reputation and exceed expectations. Proverbs 3 speaks to this. Verse 3 says, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Here's the result of keeping both loyalty and kindness in you. Verse 4, then you will find favor with both God and who? People. And you will earn a good reputation. Kindness and loyalty. That's what it takes to have a good reputation around people and with God. To find favor with God and for people. Manage your reputation, have a reputation that exceeds expectation, but also make sure that we're, we're managing the position and place that we're in, viewing our situations through the right lens, the lens of how can I improve this, but also managing our time with people in mind. It's not just, I got to get through my life, sorry about your luck, but we hit pause on us so we can help others, we can interact with others and have a positive impact and a positive influence on them. Real quick, here's what I want you to do as we close it up. If you have a worship guide, grab your worship guide, or you can do this on your phone or uh, scribble on one of the envelopes or the uh, communication cards. What I want you to do is make a big plus sign. Just a big plus sign. Doesn't have to look as scratchy as mine, but just so you can see it. So make a big plus sign somewhere or do something with it. And here's, here's what I want you to see. There's, there's four points on a plus sign. So to help you and myself remember this, how do we have a positive influence on people? I want you to start putting some names down. Here's the names I want you to be thinking about. Somebody above you, below you, and two people side to side. To have a positive influence on one person above you, one person below you, two people that are side to side. When I say above you, I mean people that, that you might consider an authority. It could be a boss, it could be an official, it could be, you name it, if they have a level of authority over you, a parent, if they have any level of authority over you, who's one person that you could work intentionally to have a positive impact and a positive influence on that they're above you. Below you, that's somebody that you would have authority over. That might be your kids, that might be employees, that might be a a number of people that you're interacting with throughout your community. Somebody that you technically have some level of authority over Who's below you that you want to have a positive impact intentionally on? Side to side, makes sense. Somebody that you would consider a peer. Maybe that's a spouse, except husbands, your wife should be the one that's above you. She has authority over you. Um, but for yep. Side to side, who's a friend, who's a community um, person, who's a, a a literal neighbor in your neighborhood with you. Side to side, who's who's somebody that you work with, a coworker, who's a stranger a waiter, a waitress that you maybe encounter if you go to the same restaurant or the same coffee shop, somebody that's side to side. And what that's going to do is that's going to give you a reminder. Okay, if I'm going to have a positive influence on people, I can either make things worse, I can ignore things, or I can work to improve it. And I'm going to add a last one of getting them closer to Jesus. The, The part of our job description is not just helping people and meeting needs. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yep, but that first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind. My prayer for me personally is, with that cinnamon stick effect, is that every person I come in contact with has a positive encounter with me. But also, if if I have the opportunity, that they would become closer to Jesus through through my interaction with them on some level, that I would be a good represent, representative of Jesus. That every person that we would come in contact with isn't just better because of us being around them, but more so that they are closer to Jesus. And so we have opportunities to share our story. We have opportunities to invite them to a church family that cares about our community, that cares about people, that loves authenticity, that treats everybody like family. Are the people in your life, are they better or worse for knowing you? Are they better or worse for being around you? And how many of them are closer to Jesus because you have rubbed off on them? May we remember people above us, below us, and next to us to have a positive influence. Last verse I want you to pay attention to is in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19 very simply says, we love because he first loved us. We love others. We love God because he first loved us. See, the Good Samaritan story is not just about how we relate with the people and the relationships in our lives. It's a great visual for what Jesus has done for every single one of us. That because of sin, we have been left on the side of the road half dead dying on the side of the road. And out of everybody that walked by and stepped over us and stepped over to the other side, Jesus went out of his way to pick us up and to take care of us. And to continue to take care of us and to say, I'll be back. I'm not done with you yet. I'll be back. And so it's a great reminder for us to to see how God has loved us so that we can then love others. If we are going to be good managers of God's stuff with our time, with our resources, with our finances, but also with the influence we have with our relationships, may we love others the way that he first loved us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the love that you have shown us, the love that you have for us. And God, I would ask that you would would help us remember, remember how you first did love us especially this week as we move into Thanksgiving and we move into the holidays, we are gonna be interacting with a lot of people. And God, my prayer is that through your Holy Spirit, you would use us in each of these interactions, no matter how, how quick or how short, how, how long these interactions may be, pray that you would use us in each of these people moments so that we might rub off on them and they would not just have a positive interaction with us, but more so and most importantly, that they would not be drawn to you. May we draw people to you as we interact with one another. May we be good stewards with the relationships that you have put in our lives to draw them closer to you. So we thank you for the love that you have. We ask that you would help us love others better. In Jesus' name.